Dr. Mark Joe. There's a lot of people that live with a certain degree of private shame. It's attached itself to your identity, your significance, how you see yourself. It's weaved its way sometimes into your personality. We don't want other people to know about it because it's painful. It's something that when we think about makes us feel lesser of ourselves. Thanks for connecting with Moody Presents. I'm John Geiger inviting you to join Pastor Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Boy, emotions, they are both friends and foes, aren't they? And it was that way when Jesus walked among us. For example, there was a woman in Mark chapter 5 struggling with shame. What did Jesus have to say to her and to us about shame? Let's turn things over to Pastor Mark Job. Emotions are God-given. They are given by God for us to be able to fully experience life in a three-dimensional fashion. However, I want to say that oftentimes we let our emotions lead in areas that they shouldn't be leading. And um, we haven't learned the art, the practice of putting our emotions in check. In fact, I believe that there's a lot of people that struggle in their spiritual walk, not because of bad theology, but because of bad management of their emotions. And so I want to talk to you about that because I think it's a huge issue that we live with. We all have different ways of uh, handling our emotions. Uh, Some people, when they are going through a difficult time, they sat down and... uh, with a gallon of chocolate chip Oberweiss ice cream in front of Netflix and they binge out for hours just to handle an emotion. Some people, when they're feeling sad, lonely, discouraged, have a kind of emotion, they just escape and play hours and hours upon hours of Overwatch, Fortnite, Call of Duty. That's sort of their escape mode. I, I heard of a lady, a married woman, who was talking to another uh, younger married woman uh, who was struggling with anger towards her husband. And she just talked to this older lady and she said, how do you do it? You never seem angry at your husband. I get angry and I just don't know how to handle it. And the older woman said, well, I have a practice. I do it every time. She says, well, how do you handle it? She says, I go and I clean the bathroom and especially the toilet." The younger married woman said, I don't have any idea how that helps you. She says, well, I use his toothbrush. So that is not marital advice, by the way. I'm just telling you how she handled it. Today, I want to talk to you about an emotion that I feel affects a lot of people And some of you, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, some of you are struggling, even in your experience, to stay concentrated on your studies, interaction with other students, and interaction with people around you because of this emotion, and it's the emotion of shame. Shame. A recent survey among college students, 48,000 college students, found that 64%, that's 64%, were very lonely, very lonely in the last 12 months. In fact, I've heard 
Uh, studies say that the loneliest people in America are elderly people in nursing homes and college students on college campuses. You could be surrounded by hundreds of people, fight for your individual space, feel like there's people all around you all the time, but yet feel extremely lonely. This same survey found out that 62% of college students felt overwhelming anxiety. Not just subtle anxiety, not some anxiety, but overwhelming anxiety. 69% admitted to being very extremely sad. 53% admitted that they were, that things seemed hopeless. That's 53%. See, viewed the world and felt like things were hopeless. And 12% seriously considered suicide. I mean, this has to do with feelings. The sometimes intangible, hard to describe, unmanageable, not always linked to our intellect or logic, but these feelings that overwhelm us, sometimes we don't know how to handle them, sometimes we don't know what to do with them. And one of those feelings is the feeling of shame. I've been pastoring for a long time in the city of Chicago, and I have seen, looked in the eyes of people that have felt extreme, deep, powerful, overwhelming shame. And let me talk to you for a moment about shame in the brief time that we have together here. Let me say this. Shame is, uh, you have shame and guilt. Sometimes people confuse guilt and shame. Uh, Guilt And shame are cousins, but they're different. Uh, Guilt has to do with whether you feel bad about something that you did or didn't do. It's about what you do. Shame, on the other hand, has to do with how you feel about yourself, your identity. It's a subtle difference, but it's huge. Guilt has to do with something that you did and you feel bad about. Sometimes there's false guilt. Shame goes a lot deeper than that. It's not about what you did. It's about how you feel about yourself in the light of others. And so, I want you to turn in your Bibles or look up on your phones a passage found in Mark chapter 5. Actually, the story is found in all three of the Gospels. Mark chapter 5, Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 8. Obviously, There are certain stories in the Bible, they're all of equal importance and value, they're all significant, but there are certain stories that are repeated in Scripture multiple times from different perspectives, obviously, but this story happens to be one that's repeated in three of the four Gospels. And I believe at the core, although the word shame is not used, and oftentimes we Uh, read a story in Scripture, and it doesn't always speak to the emotion that the person is feeling, but we see it in their actions, and we understand what they're going through. And I believe this story is about a woman. We don't know her name. The Bible doesn't tell us her name. It doesn't tell us a lot about her, but we understand this, that she is deeply gripped with shame. I'm going to begin reading. In verse 24, it says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him, speaking about Jesus. 
And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And instead of getting better, she got worse. Let me just talk to you to begin with about understanding the power of shame. Now, you say, well, this woman was sick. I don't see shame there. Oh, it was the nature of her sickness that produced shame. She had bleeding and hemorrhaging, and the kind of hemorrhaging that she had made her not only weak, but it also made her unclean. In fact, the Bible tells us that she had suffered with this uh, hemorrhaging for 12 years. If you see a little bit, understand the law, you will see that by the very law, because of her hemorrhaging and being unclean, her bleeding, she was separated. She would have to be separated from her husband if she was married. She could not live in her home because everything in her home would be unclean. She would be ostracized from society. She couldn't come into contact with friends because she would make them ceremonially unclean. She would be excommunicated from the services of the synagogue and thus shut out from the woman's courts in the temple. So she would be ostracized in her marriage, shut out from her friends, unable to come to the place of worship like a normal individual. In fact, this physical disease carried with it shame that made her unclean and made her, whoever she taught, touched unclean. Now, it wasn't her fault that she had this disease, and oftentimes shame comes upon us by no fault of our own. And I believe that this shame, and sometimes shame will drive you to suffer silently and in solitude. In Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 through 28, it says, a, a woman with a discharge is unclean. A bed that she lies in is unclean. Anything she sits on is unclean. Whoever touches her is unclean as well. This woman's issue was intensely private, very, very private. Not something that she would want to talk to a lot of people about, not something that she would like openly discussed. It was intensely private, but the consequences had become very public. And normally shame is like that, I've discovered. It's something that we guard, it's intensely private. Is something that affects the way we view the world, the way we view ourselves, but we don't want other people to know about it. Shame is rooted and built in a lot of things. It could be built in sexual abuse as a minor. It could be built in a rape that happened to you that you don't want anybody to know about. It could be built in the dysfunction of your household, abusive parents. It could be built in a disability that you may have that you don't want people to know about. It could be built in a lifestyle that you engaged in that you don't want others to know about it, but it still haunts you. I'll never forget on the north side of Chicago, I planted a, a church in the Lakeview neighborhood. I had a woman that came to me and she said, Pastor, I want to meet with you. I said, sure. And she came to me. She said, I need to meet with you in private. So I sat down with her, and she was very nervous when she was talking to me, and she said, I, I, I want to talk to you about something that I, I haven't told a lot of people about, but, but I, I want to ask you about this, and I, I want to be honest about you. And she put her head down. I could tell she was struggling. She says, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm a little ashamed to say this. But she said, I have full-blown AIDS, and I just want to know. 
She was unchurched. Can I, can I come to the church? Never forget that. Sincere question. Can I come to this church? This is before medication for AIDS was available and her AIDS was pretty full-blown, pretty much in advance. My first reaction, just to see the woman in her heart, I got up and I gave her a big hug and I said, absolutely, you are welcome in this place. She was shocked that I gave her a hug, I believe. But I believe that there's a lot of people that live with a certain degree of private shame it's attached itself to your identity, your significance, how you see yourself. It's weaved its way sometimes into your personality. It's private. We don't want other people to know about it because it's painful. It's something that when we think about makes us feel lesser of ourselves. And what I've noticed is that whenever, anytime there's shame involved in the process of our living, it affects our relationship with others. It affects our relationship with God. It affects how we see ourselves. In fact, I don't have time to get into this passage. But way in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we're actually introduced to shame in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says that God made man and woman, and they were both naked, and they felt no shame. He makes a point to say they were naked and they felt no shame. There was no shame that existed. There was transparency. There was openness. There was no need to cover themselves. But as soon as, as, soon as they fell, as soon as they disobeyed God, as soon as sin entered into the world, then there was immediate three things that happened. If you notice in the passage, uh, number one, they covered themselves. No one told them to cover themselves, but immediately they felt the need to cover themselves. Immediately. When sin was introduced, when brokenness was introduced, there was an immediate reaction. I need to hide myself. I need to cover myself. Not very comfortable with leaves. Sounds pretty itchy. Then they hid themselves. If you read the passage, God was there. Immediately they started to hide themselves. Where are you? They heard the sound of God in the garden. And then it also says they were afraid. Shame induces those reactions. A hiding of ourselves, a covering of ourselves, and fear or anxiety. We have a lot of ways of covering our shame, by the way, and I, I wish you could ask yourself this question. If you struggle with shame in your life, the question I would ask you is, what, what leaf are you using? What leaf are you using? There's a lot of leaves we use. Overbearing personality, I'm the class clown, but inside, really, I'm covering my shame. We go to things that appease us for a little bit. Sometimes it's overindulgence and eating. Sometimes it's habits like pornography. Sometimes it is a maraud of things that we use sometimes just to cover the pain of shame that we feel it's been a problem since the beginning. And again, usually we hide the privacy of that pain in that area that really needs the most healing. The second thing that I want you to notice about this passage is not only will shame drive you to suffer silently, but shame will also shape your approach to God and others. Verse 27 says, And when she heard about Jesus, she came up 
behind him in the crowd and touch his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. It seems you can read through this rapidly and not notice something, but I want you to notice that she was not approached, she was not calling out to Jesus. She was not getting attention. She was not approaching him face to face. She was coming up behind him quietly thinking, all I have to do is touch the hem of his garment. I don't want his attention. I don't want him to see my face. I don't want to talk to him. I just want to touch the hem of his garment because I want to be inconspicuous in my approach to him. I think shame will always make you feel unworthy and unwanted even as you approach the presence of Jesus. Always unworthy, always unwanted, even when you approach Jesus. And part of that experience is fear, fear of being exposed, fear of Him seeing me for who I am. Obviously, He was a rabbi, and she felt if I touch Him, He will be unclean. If He knew who I was and what I suffer with, then it's not lawful for me to touch him, so I will approach him in a way that, that he can't really tell. And I believe that is emblemic of sometimes what happens to us when we're struggling with shame, even in our own lives. It says in verse 28, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 21 says that she said to herself, in other words, she repeated to herself over and over and over. The implication is that she was talking to herself, having this inner conversation. I want to be healed of this, but, I don't, but I'm afraid to approach the healer about this. Man, I wish I could pause and speak on that a little bit longer, but I need to move on. Listen, not only will it drive you to suffer silently, shape our approach, it will steal your celebration Notice your voice of celebration if you let it. Notice what happens. The Bible says that she reached out, and because she had faith, she touched the hem of his garments. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said, You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Immediately she felt healed, but she did not have the boldness, the confidence to shout out the celebration of her healing because of shame. She had been healed 12 years of disease, yet shame robbed her praise and robbed her voice. Something had happened, yet she did not have the boldness and ability to praise God, to celebrate, to shout out, I'm healed, to tell other people about it. She crouched down in shame and in silence, even when she had experienced something so powerful and miraculous in her life. And I believe that shame does that to us. Listen to what happens. Verse 32, it says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Not celebration. Fear? That's a weird response to healing. Fear. Why? Hiding. Covering. And fear. Trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, 
I love it. He, he doesn't say woman. He doesn't say, hey, you. He knows that she's broken. He knows that she, that she expects this scowl maybe that her shame has told her you don't have the right to touch him. You've crossed lines. Why would he look at it? If you really knew who you were, he would chastise you. But in the voice of the Savior, with compassion, filled with mercy, he says to her, daughter. Not in silence, not in private, but in front of everybody around as people part and watch what is happening. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. A couple things I want you to understand about breaking the power of shame. Number one. Notice, admitting the truth in your story, verse 33, it says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, it says. And she had to admit that she had an issue. She had to come to Jesus with it. She had to, she had to be willing to be singled out because there was an issue. Shame says no one should ever know. Shame says this should be your secret. You know how many people I've talked to? I've done retreats where 68-year-old women will come and for the first time ever share the shame of sexual abuse in their life. They've been silent about it for 60 years, feeling like if someone knew, I can't tell, they shouldn't, let me just get over it. But living with the sense of shame in their life deep-seated shame, and sometimes for the first time ever, sharing with a group of other women that pray for them, and there's a release that happens when women gather around and love on them and pray for them in Jesus' name and hug them because shame has said, you are unworthy. This makes you less than a person. And suddenly when shame has revealed the truth and love, there's something that happens. It breaks its power. This woman had to publicly come out, get out of the shadow, get out of the crowd, fell at the feet of Jesus. And look what it says secondly. It says, trembling with fear, telling the whole truth about her story. I wish I could hear her words tell her story. But there you are, picture it. Jesus is there. The crowd is around. They're pressing. The disciples are keeping her out. And she's at her feet, weeping, trembling, shaking with fear. Twelve years of not being touched. Twelve years of being unclean. And then she begins to tell her whole story. She brings shame to the light before Jesus. And there's something that happens, I believe. I I think Jesus could have moved on. Have you ever thought, hey, why did Jesus stop? Why he, was he so insistent? Who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? Why do you insist and pause and say, no, I want to I wanna talk to the person that touched me. I believe it wasn't for Jesus' curiosity. It was for this woman's full healing that was more than just a physical healing that she needed. She needed the healing of her soul. He could have walked on and said, oh, I felt power come out from me. Interestingly enough, just the way that she felt healing, he felt power. 
Obviously, we know that Jesus is all-knowing. He's the son of the living God. Nothing's hidden from him. So it wasn't as if, you know, he couldn't know who it was, but he stopped. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? Who do you think that was for? You think Jesus was scratching his head? I wonder who touched me? Or do you think it was for that woman to come out of the shadows to say, it's I? She tells the whole truth. And then she has to accept God's truth over her story. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. I want you to notice daughter. Not unclean woman. Not despicable human being. Not violator of the law. But daughter. Go in peace. And I think when he says be freed from your suffering, it's more than just the physical suffering. It's the suffering and the agony of her shame. He says go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Psalms 34 verse 4 through 5 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. I love this. Listen to this. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Well, let me read that last part again. Someone needs to hear it today. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Well, no question about it. Shame comes to all of us. And as we've just heard, we must conquer shame before it permanently deforms our ministry. This is certainly a message worth hearing again, and we welcome you to do that at our website, moodypresents.org. Question, do you have a casual relationship with God, or are you hungry for more? That's our focus next week. I'm John Geiger, hoping you'll join us then for Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.